We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. We've been walking through this series entitled Rooted. We've been walking through Ephesians, and we've been in the first chapter right now, just walking through it slowly. And I like to say we're milking the text dry. We're looking at all the words, we're looking at the verses, and we're, we're looking at what God says in the text, using the text, only the text, to really just bring out the word of God in the text. We're exposing the text by using the text. So we're going to walk through these uh, last verses in chapter 1 today. And this whole rooted idea comes from the fact that we're rooted in Christ, that Christ has died our death, the fact that we're rooted in this love of God in and through the work of Jesus Christ. And as we get to the latter half of the book, we're going to look at how that practically works itself out, how we live out those roots, hence the name rooted. So chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. If you've got a Bible, won't you stand with me if you're able once you get there. Verses 15 through 23. If you got it, go ahead and say, got it. Here now the reading of God's word, starting in verse 15. The text reads, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his great power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? These words are amazing. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. Remember that word body, the fullness of him. Who feels all in all. Very words of God. Amen. Amen. Today I want to preach on the topic, eyes on the prize. Can you say that with me? Eyes on the prize. prize. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your word, which is sharper than a two-edged sword. And God, I, I thank you that for what you're doing here in our service. And God, I ask that you would just decrease me simply right now so that you may increase. Father, have your way in this place. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, it's around March Madness time of the year. Who in here likes March Madness? That's NCAA basketball for y'all that don't know what I'm talking about. March Madness time of year. It's, it's, I love watching NCAA basketball this time of year because this is a time of year where all these brothers leave it all out on the floor. They've been working so hard. Look at Ms. Barber know exactly what I'm talking about. They have, so to say, kept their eyes on the prize. That prize of holding that national championship trophy in their hands, which indicates for that year they're the best team in the land. 
They're working hard for this. They're keeping their eyes on that prize. But here's the thing. Sometimes teams don't keep their eyes on the prize. And they lose unexpectedly. I mean, every year I feel like you hear more about the losers than the winners. The guys that were, they were doing everything great in the beginning of the season, dunking on everybody, blowing all the teams out. That, that's the team to watch. And then they lose unexpectedly. I mean, think about it. I bet it's not, I mean, it's probably not five of y'all in here that can really name the last five teams who won the national championship. Go ahead and try to think about it. You, you probably having a struggle with last year. Right? Because we, we think about the people, we don't really think about the winners. We're thinking about the people that, 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 that lost, that should have won. Teams like the Fab Five in the 90s. Anybody know the Fab Five? It's Fab Five in the 90s. See, some of y'all are like, I wasn't even born, Pastor D. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, I don't even watch basketball. The Fab Five in the 90s. I mean, this was said to be the, the best recruiting class ever to, to, to come into basketball, NCAA basketball. Yeah, Chris Webber, Juwan Howard. This is the University of Michigan. You got, you got Jalen Rose all on the same team. They're coming together. This team is supposed to be the bomb. There's my 90s reference. <laughs> they're, they're blowing out everybody. Dunking on everybody, supposed to be able to rival NBA teams. They make it to the finals two years in a, in a row. They, they, they're, they're supposed to win, and they lose both times. They never win. You know why? Because they took their eye off the prize. The fame. The drugs. The money they accepted, the girls, the laziness of success and filling themselves made them take the prize for granted. So when they got to the big dance, as they called it, they didn't show up and they lost. And here's the point. Some of us, if not all of us, can be just like the Fab Five from time to time. Where we believe in Jesus, but we forget the inheritance to which we're called to. We forget that we're sons and daughters of the most high king. So when things come around and start messing with us, we start shaking, we, we get shaken in our faith, we get fearful, we stop, we, we forget whose we are. Or we start, so to say, feeling ourselves a bit, and it's like, man, you forget the fact that we're saved by grace. There's nothing that we did or brought to the table, and the only reason we're here is, 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 is not to soak up all the riches of this world, although that's what we start doing. But instead, we're here to glorify God with our lives and give him glory. And hopefully through us, people see him. See, what happens is we too, we take our eyes off the prize, the prize of heaven, and ultimately dwelling with God forever and ever and ever with him. See, the pleasures of this world, they start to entice us and the things that we see, and we start to indulge in them. Just like the prodigal son we talked about last week. Jumping into the pig slop, spending all our money. And then we wake up and say, man, my father's good. And we run back and he accepts us. See, today in this passage, Paul is urging these new believers to keep their eyes on this prize. Keep your eyes on the prize of being with God forever. And what he's saying is live accordingly. Knowing what awaits you, who awaits you. Because here, here's the truth. When you know that heaven awaits you, where there's no sadness, 
There's no tears. There's no murder. There's no corruption. There's no division. There's no sin. But instead, it's heaven and dwelling with God forever and ever. When we keep our eyes on that goodness, the goodness of this promised inheritance with him in heaven, family, it changes the way we conduct our lives. See, Paul is praying that these believers would keep their eyes on the prize. In fact, Paul himself says in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 to 27, look at it with me. I love these verses. Paul says, do you not know that in a race all the runners run? But only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul is saying, look, Unlike the Fab Five or March Madness, look, I'm running and I'm living my life understanding that I'm working towards an imperishable wreath, an imperishable crown, an imperishable reward. That's what awaits me in heaven with God my Father. So he says, I discipline my body. I keep it under control. I love the King James Version. He says, I buffet my body, make it my slave. This means that he's not doing anything and everything he feels like doing or trying to please himself because his ultimate goal is not what happens here around him in this world. It's being with his father. So he lives to glorify him here. Which means that he may go through struggles and trials, but through his struggles and trials, as people see him going through that and him glorifying Jesus through the midst of that, people get to see a glimpse of Jesus because they're like, man, if you can still glorify Jesus and love him through your mess, I want some of that too. See, and this is exactly what Paul is saying. It's what he's saying in this passage today. By praying that these believers would not be swayed by what happens, the wind and the waves, everything that's going on around them, but they would keep their eyes on the prize. And that too, family, is my prayer for us here at Renewal, all of us, which is that we who believe, we keep our eyes on God. We keep our eyes on the prize of heaven and dwelling with him forever and ever and ever. And for those of us that may be in here and we're struggling with our faith, belief, belief, my my prayer is that you too will see the goodness of God. You see the goodness of God and you turn to him and you believe. Amen? See, Paul in this passage today, he's ending chapter 1, which I love this this beautiful opening prayer where, where Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. He's reminding these saints and encouraging them, letting them know who they're rooted in. This is God. This is what he's done on your behalf. He lets these saints in Ephesus a diverse group of people know that they're deeply rooted in the love of God. So over the past couple of weeks, we've, we've been walking through this. We've been walking through it line by line, just, just breaking it down. We look at the fact that, that, that God has rooted believers deeply in the work of Christ, deeply in the work of Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. We brought nothing to the table. He's done all, all, all of this on our behalf. Our salvation is rooted in Christ's work, not our work. 
We've talked about how God put this gracious plan, the one I'm talking about, in, in, in action to save humans if we believe. It, it's something that was pre-planned since the beginning of time. And, and with this, God knows that we're still going to mess up. We're going to go our own way. We're going to rebel. But yet, through his sovereign love, he still chooses to put the plan in action to save us. He's good. See, he covers believers with grace and love through Jesus' sacrifice to where if anyone believes, they will not perish but have eternal life. Receiving this inheritance in heaven. Now, now we work from approval instead of for approval. Amen. Our identity as believers is rock solid. We're built on some solid ground. It's not our ground, but it's the, it's, it's the solid rock of all. It's God himself. His work through Jesus, and, and that does not change. God does not change. He's the same God since the beginning. It's a solid foundation. Hear me again. If you weren't here last week, if you missed it last week, God's sovereignty is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, but it is a good and freeing truth. It's a good and freeing truth. In a world that defines me by what I do, or what I bring to the table, it's freeing to know that God has saved me without me having to do anything but trust him. Which allows me to work, to live, to walk daily without wavering, knowing that everything I have is, or everything I get to do, I'm blessed with through Jesus' work. That's freeing. It's not up to me. So today, as, as we walk through this prayer, I want to end looking at this prayer with verse, verses 15 through 23. Such a beautiful prayer from Paul. He ends with giving thanks for these believers and asking that the Father may give them spiritual wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him and for the eyes of their hearts to be open. See, this prayer, his prayer for them is that they would know who God is. They would know that he, who he is, all that he's done for them. And in knowing that, live where they're able, where they're keeping their eyes on him, on heaven and with God. And the reason being for this is because there's going to be a lot of mess and a lot of things that happen to you. And you have to keep your eyes on God to get through that. Now, family, why is that important? Why wouldn't Paul start with this? Why would he walk through this, the, the, la the last 14 verses so explicitly clear and say, this is all that God did for you on your behalf. He walked through all of this. Why would he do that and now pray for him? Why, 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 what's the prayer? What's in this prayer? So we got to look at these words in the prayer and we got to remember the context of Ephesus, who he's speaking to, this church of Ephesus in the city of Ephesus. Now, remember Ephesus was this gateway to Asia. It was a port city, a very important city. There's a lot going on in here. There's lots of money. There's many different types of people, ethnicities, uh, and, they, and they're, different, they're worshiping different gods, namely the goddess Artemis, who was the, the god over fertility and chastity and, 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 and wildlife and hunting. That's who she was said to be, so people are worshiping this. This city was, was with its many complexities, is much like our city. There's a lot going on. There's many different le levels to the society. This major city, this major port city, and with many different levels and many different facets in society comes more and more complexity, more and more confusion, more people with identity crisis. 
And what I really, I, I really believe by, by looking at the tone of this prayer, Paul is ending with one last exhortation and prayer to the church that they would not only know who God is and that they're rooted in him, but lastly, in the midst of everything that's happening around them, that their inheritance awaits them in heaven. Not here, but awaits them. Keep looking forward. Keep your eye on the prize. Hence, Paul sees the people of Ephesus as precious. He sees them as precious, and he wants them to look forward to enjoying God forever. And see, this is what I want to talk about today. What does it look like for us to look forward and and enjoy God forever? How how do we look forward in the midst of the mess and the things that are going on around us? And this is important because if we look forward, I said it already, we look forward and we understand what awaits us. It changes how we live today. I want to talk about what this looks like for the believer to look forward, to enjoy him forever. And the reason being is just like the people of Ephesus, we live in Chicago. We live in a major city with many different distractions, many things that are floating around in society. And these things in society can tend to shape our identity. And I believe we too need to be reminded of the joy that awaits us. So we know how to live today. Because, because here, I'm going to say this, and it may seem a little hard to you, but I want you to follow me. Because here's the problem. The believer here and today in America is way too soft when it comes to faith. Our faith is way too soft. We're way too easily rocked. And, and, and when I say soft, I'm not talking about somebody touching your, 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 you and saying, man, you're, you're so soft. You're physically soft. I'm not talking about that. If y'all remember back in the day when somebody talked about you or you're like, man, stop talking about me. Every time somebody made a joke about you, you, you always talk. You're starting to cry and be like, man, you're so soft. That's, that's, just, that's, what, we would, that's what we would call people because you let everything get under your skin. Soft. You see, American Christianity, we're way too soft when it comes to our faith. It's not strong. And I'm not, I'm not coming at anyone in particular. I need you to follow me with this. And this is why I say this, because we don't battle the type of persecution that the, the, the Christians of old did. We, we may have our, I'm not trying to belittle our struggles. We got our struggles. We're going through things, but our faith is rocked way too easily. You don't believe me? Okay, look, look. At the time that Paul is writing this letter, Paul is locked in chains on death row about to be killed for his faith. He didn't do anything wrong. He's getting killed because he believes in Jesus and he's proclaiming his name. Okay, maybe that's not enough. Peter was crucified upside down for his faith. 10 out of 12 of the disciples died a martyr's death for their faith. Christians were beheaded, burned at stakes, thrown off of cliffs just because they believed in Jesus. The believer, family, hear me, we're way too soft in our faith. We don't live that way today. We're way too rock, we're rock way too easily because we get rocked when people call us something we don't like. Can't believe that. I didn't get to pay my bill this month. Man, God don't love me no more. My faith is, we're rock too, we're not really rooted. We don't know who we're rooted in. And, and I know some of you are like, well, Pastor D, we're not getting killed for our faith this day. That, that's not happening nowadays. And I'm like, okay, that, that makes sense. I get what you're saying. But, but look, 
if it came down to it, if we're truly honest, with no excuses, if it came down to it, we're like, crucified upside down? Nah, I'm good. I would have been the other Peter and, and, and denied Jesus three times. It's not happening. Let's be honest. Now, hear me, friends. This is where I'm going. There, there's many reasons why the American Christianity is this way. And we can talk about privilege. We can talk about all of those different things. But what I really believe the problem is, is that the church has just not really been the church. We've not, we've not helped people know who they're rooted in. We've not helped people know what God has really called us to, this inheritance. And what happens is we create this watered-down, consumeristic, soft, lukewarm Christianity. And hear me, family, Jesus was not soft. He wasn't soft. I mean, he was for real out in these streets, as they like to say. I mean, he wasn't soft. He didn't have long, flowy, blonde hair with blue eyes either. That was not the, that's not Jesus. They said his hair was like wool. More, probably closer to dreadlocks. He didn't have a place to lay his head. Honestly, if you saw Jesus on the street, it's probably one of those dudes you wouldn't want to approach nowadays. Jesus lived out his faith in the face of, of, of people that were trying to kill him. He was not soft at all, and he, and he was killed because of that. But before that, he trains up 12 men that would live the same way and take this truth out into the streets, and they would die too. And because of them, we're here today. Family, he showed us how to live. And the same men, they went out and take, took the same truth. But here's the thing, we're not living that way. I don't believe if, if, if we look at Christianity today and the way it looks, it's exactly how it's not exactly the way God designed it. It's not live your best life now. It's a now and not yet because the best is yet to come. Which means that, that there's going this is it's going to be hard here. There's going to be trials. There's going to be struggles because living today in this world is really not for the believer's good. When you go through the struggles and trials that you go through, I've already said it. When you go through that and somebody still sees you lifting up the name of Jesus, living for him, when somebody that does not know him and they see you going through those trials, they're like, man, I want to know him. If they can still praise him going through the mess that they're going, I still want to. That's why when these Christians died the death that they died, why do you think we're here today? People saw this and said, I need to know him. Because we're living for his glory, not for our glory, it's for him. And people want to know, if you're going to go through that, I want to I know him too. Hear me, the believer's blessing, a real blessing is in heaven, which means if you're a believer in here and you're alive, you have not received it yet. You're sealed, as I talked about the weeks prior to this, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit, which is a guarantee to have eternal life. Your place in heaven, yes, it, it's there, but you're guaranteed that you have not received that blessing yet. You're still here, which means that you need to live your life for the glory, to the glory of God, and you'll receive that blessing at the end of your life. It's, it's a here, it's a now and not yet. Hear me, the church, though, family, has failed folks on this theology and I'm not just talking about leaders. I'm talking about the body of Christ too, the people, the church. 
The, the church is not here because of preaching your best life messages right now. It, what is that? Your best life now. Follow me with this. Paul begins this prayer encouraging the, the saints by saying, I heard of your faith and your love towards others, letting us know that he's speaking to believers. He's speaking to these believers. And with, with all that's going on in their context, I can only imagine what living a life of faith, of faith looks like for them in a place where people really don't care about God. They don't care about Jesus. This place called Ephesus, a major city. Hmm, it sounds kind of like our content. Is there some similarities there? See, Paul starts off with this tone of encouragement because, y'all, it's hard to live a life of faith in a culture that does not value faith. Friends, it's not easy to live for God in major cities like Ephesus and Chicago, where people don't care. And all, all it's about is live for me, do for me. I'm going to do the best for me right now. That, that family, at the end of the day, that, that's not taking you anywhere. And, and here's the truth. This is not the Bible Belt. Believers here, it's, we're, it's an anomaly. We're an anomaly. It's not the norm. So it takes a lot of encouragement, a lot of encouragement and community from other believers like Paul is doing right here. That's why he's writing to them, which alludes to the next part of the text. Because he says in verse 16, look at it with me. He says, I don't cease to give thanks for you in my prayers. Now, when I read this, I'm not sure about you, but when I read Paul's letter, sometimes I'm convicted because I got to ask myself, do I really care for others like Paul does? I don't know if y'all follow me. I mean, if nothing else, as a believer, when I'm reading these letters from Paul, it should encourage us to care for others, especially other believers. And I got to talk about this because I don't know if y'all following this. This dude is writing a letter, which means these people are special to him. You don't write a letter to just anybody, especially when you're sitting on death row. Papyrus, and we didn't have paper and pens like that. I mean, he's taking some time out out of his precious last moments to write a letter. They're special to him. These believers mean a lot to him. And here's the thing. This is not and should be, like I said already, it should not just be for the church leaders or the pastors or apostles or, 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 or people that are leading in the body to, to, to be the ones caring for people. They're not the only ones that are to care or, or look out for the people that don't know Jesus. No, 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 no. It's the church. The leaders shouldn't do all the work and then the rest of us just come sit in the pew and just consume. That, that, no, that's never been the church. The church was never supposed to be a consumeristic place. It was a place for, for folks to fellowship and come together, but it was meant to be a place where people cared for one another, did life together, served on mission together, stood on the lines of injustice together. It was never meant for people to, be the, to come in and get their so-called Jesus fix and then go do the rest of their week like they want to do it. Now, the church was always supposed to be on the move. And what I mean by this is that it's a church that's driving culture. It's out in front of it, making things happen. Okay, y'all not following me. So, so let, let's look at the early church, book of Acts. I love the book of Acts because you get to see the beginning of the church. The day of Pentecost comes and Jesus is taken up to heaven. But before he does that, he commissions the 120. Go out and make disciples. 
Judea, Samaria, all to the ends of the, of the earth. And then he leaves, he, he's ascending to heaven, and the Spirit falls on them. They, they, they have the Spirit fall on them. They're speaking in all these different languages. People see it. And then Peter stands up on the mountain, and he gives this awesome sermon. And 3,000 people come to know Jesus right there. 3,000 people. And then it says in Acts 2, 42 through 47, that the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, their preaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship, and to the prayers. And watch what happens. It says that nobody was without need. In other words, everyone's needs were met. People gave money to the church and allowed the apostles to help those in need. Let me put it this way, because I don't think you guys are getting this. People didn't have, it wasn't like they were all rich or anything, but they might have owned a parcel of land. So they would sell that part of land, and then they would give the proceeds to the person that needed it. They would give up their, their, their most precious possessions for somebody that was in need. That's the church. Now, family, hear me. This is not the church leaders necessarily doing this. They may be the ones saying, we need to do this. This is what it looks like biblically to be a church. They may be taking part in it. But this is the body of Christ doing this. The church giving up things to, to take care of one another. That's the church. I mean, just imagine for a minute. Put your Mr. Rogers thinking caps on with me for a minute. Just do it. Put them on your heads. Could you imagine 3,000 people, 3,000 plus people selling their belongings and giving money away to those in need in the church? Just imagine for a moment. Think about it. I mean, now, now wonder God adds to their number daily. I mean, it, to see that had to be a sight to see. I mean, could you imagine this? I mean, people are giving their most precious possessions away to help others in need. People say, this is my need, this is where I'm struggling, and people give something away to give, them, give to them. I mean, that's amazing. It, it, it's sort of like those good deed commercials. You guys, we've all seen them where in the commercial somebody might open the door up for somebody and somebody sees it across the street and then they walk the old lady across the street and then somebody sees that and then somebody else does something for somebody else that's nice. Imagine this. Rewind and go back to the first good deed and imagine 3,000 plus people doing those things at the same time. Imagine that. What, what could affect what, what, what kind of effect could that have on society? 3,000 plus people. Imagine what it could do today. The people were able to do this, hear me family, because they kept their eyes on the prize of heaven. They knew why they were here and they knew where they were going. They weren't soft in their faith. They didn't care what happened to them on this side of heaven. But as the song says, it, it, Jesus made them brave. Yeah. <laughs> ah, but, you got, but we still don't get it. And the problem, the problem is that some of us can't imagine this because, and I've already said it before, the reason we can't imagine this is because this is not the church we know. This is not the church we've seen. The church we know, can I talk about it for a minute? The, the church we know is the one that's focused more on getting people in the building than going outside the walls. The church we know is focused on building glorious buildings, and not that we shouldn't have a building, but the church is a people, not a building. 
The church we know has more of a celebrity, it's, it's kind of more like a celebrity TV show than making disciples. The church we know has been full of hypocrites and not doing what the Bible says. The church we know has misappropriated funds, the funds that you give willingly, and, and use it on things that we shouldn't have. I mean, right? I'm just talking about the things that we think in our heads or the things we say outside of these four walls, sadly, about the bride of Christ. But hear me, when we look biblically, the church is never supposed to be any of these things. The, the church... Is, is a place where people are fed spiritually and nutritionally. Y'all, we got to eat. The church is a place that cares for the least likely and cares for the needy. The church is a place where people are equipped to walk through life. The church is a place where people, family, hear me, are discipled in Jesus. And then we go out and we make more disciples. The church is a place where worship changes lives. It's the place where people are on mission and not just consuming. Yes. The church is a, it is a diverse place and dwells in unity according to the Bible. I'm going to keep going. The church is a place where, where sin is called out, but yet the sinner is loved. Yes. The church is a place where Jesus is exalted. Yes. I could keep going, but, but my point is, family, is that our picture of the church has become distorted, sadly. And there has become this huge disdain or dislike for the church and society. And hear me, not because we preach Jesus, but because we look nothing like the church God designed. So friends, when I read Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus, I, I hear his heart and his passion. He wants the church to know Jesus to know their roots, and through that be the church he's called us to be where the world changes. This is the opening chapter in Ephesians. And family, you know why it's important for us to know who we're rooted in? Because we're not only waiting on enjoying God forever as believers, but we're rooted in Jesus and not our sin, but instead his sinless perfection and sacrifice, and that truth allows us to live and be the church he's called us to be. Yeah. See, now we, we will get, we'll get to this more in chapters 4 through 6. I can't wait to get to that. It, it was going to be more practical, but, but for a second, I just want you to let these words marinate on your heart a little bit. Walk with me through this passage. You see, because here's the truth. When you know who you're rooted in again, I'm going to keep saying this. It changes the way you think and the way you act. Yes, yes. Verse 18, he says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, lighten that, that you may know the hope to which you are called to. What are the riches of, his glory, of this glorious inheritance? Now, don't get lost in Paul's wording here. Like verses 3 to 14, this is one long run on sentence. That is exactly what it is in the Greek. It's one sentence. Paul definitely writes the way he talks. But what, is he, what he's saying is, hear me, remember whose you are and who awaits you. Again, and I've said this in previous weeks, believer, this is very important because there's a number of things that may happen to you in this life, good and bad. In this world, all these things that are circling around you, but that does not define you. 
It doesn't define you, nor is this world your home. This is temporary. Your home is in heaven with God. You are a son and daughter of the Most High King, and he awaits you in heaven. Paul, Paul wants believers to see this. Look at verses 19 through 21. I love this. Look at what he says. Just let these words just marinate on your heart a little bit. He says, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over the church, all these things to the church. Paul wants these believers to know this is who you're rooted in. Jesus, God in the flesh, who rules over everything. He died for you. you. You get to take part in an inheritance, his inheritance, which is to sit at the right hand of the Father, where everything is subject to him, not to you, but to him. He's ruler of all things. This is who believers are rooted in, which means that nothing can harm you, but you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus, as Romans 8 tells us. That means that you're going to go through trials, things are going to mess with you, but nothing right now can, is going to take away what awaits you. Yeah. King, King Jesus, true God. And if that's not enough for you, look at verse 23. Paul says, which is his body. Remember that word body, the fullness of him who feels all in all. Now, this word body, it may seem simple, but it's very strong in this context, in this scripture, and we miss it. This means that Christ, when he walked this earth and he died our death for our sins, he so identified with us that as believers, we have become his body, his body. It's like where Adam sees Eve, she's fine as ever. He's like, yo, this is now my flesh, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. God declares them one flesh, woman and husband, wife and husband, one flesh. There's a union. The church is called the bride of Christ, one flesh. We are one flesh with Jesus. That's why the husband and wife union is so critical because it's supposed to represent that union of Christ. You wonder why Satan's attacking it and marriages are failing? Because that's the, the closest resemblance we get to the closest uh, the union that we get with Christ in the church. This is what we see in Ephesians 5. See, this is a union. We are his body. Let that sink in a little bit. If Christ is the head, we're the body. The fullness of him who feels all in all. When people see us, they should see Jesus as believers. Which means this for the believer. That there is no place for consumeristic, lukewarm, soft Christianity. Because our faith is rooted in someone who surely was not soft or consumeristic or lukewarm or shaken easily. He's the king of all kings, the ruler of all things. Everything is under his feet. He is our head. We are his body. 
which means we don't have to fear. We can walk bravely through this world as representatives of the Most High King because of who he is, not who we are, but because of he, him. And, and, and regardless of what we go through and what happens to us, we're okay. We can walk through it because of him and what awaits us as believers. We stand on some solid ground, y'all. Believers stand on solid ground that's not easily moved. And we get to take part in these, we take part in these same sufferings. This is why Paul's like, I take joy in these sufferings because he knows what's, what's awaiting him. I, I, we take part in these sufferings, the same sufferings he did while he was on this side of heaven in this world. And through those sufferings, people get to see us go through them. And it's not for us, it's for them to see the goodness of Jesus. Because we know what awaits us. See, family, this truth of knowing whose I am today and what awaits me, it allows me or the believer in here to live freely, not worried about what happens to you out in these streets or in this world or at your job because you belong to the most high king and you know what awaits you. Believer, hear me, be encouraged today. Be encouraged, be brave as the song says, live your life for his glory. It may not be your best life in your mind, but live for his glory, keeping your eye on the prize of heaven and eternity with God forever. That far outweighs any joy that you can have on this side of heaven. And through that, allowing others to see Jesus through you. God has loved you from the beginning of time. We've walked through these last few weeks and just really taken our time in Ephesians chapter 1 very slowly because I wanted us all to understand the goodness of God, the goodness of God on our behalf, God our Father who has loved us, who has worked all things in and through Christ for the goodness of those who believe. And the prize of heaven, look, we're not even there yet, but there's still something else at the end. There's a prize of heaven that awaits us. So we're saved. There's a now and not yet. You're saved from the penalty of your sins, but yet there's something else coming. So believe in here again. Be encouraged. Be encouraged and run with your eyes on the prize. And again, for the person that's struggling with their faith this morning. Maybe you came in here struggling like, I don't know if I believe. I'm not sure about that. I'm struggling with the goodness of God. I pray that you would turn to him now, knowing that we serve a good, good father. That Jesus has done everything on your behalf. He's died the death that you should have died. He was buried, took the sins to the grave, and he rose three days later with power in his hands, newness of life. So that if you believe, you get to experience that same newness of life in him. And it may not mean that everything's going to get better today but we know what awaits us. So live with your eyes on that prize. Family, let's be a people, a church that lives with our eyes on the prize of being with God forever in heaven. And through that, see this world be different because of Jesus working in and through us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.